Osborne here with a slightly different podcast for you this week. We are just a few days now from Boris Johnson's inevitable arrival in Downing Street. And that means Theresa May's time really is almost up. So as we prepare for the horrors to come, let's pause and this week look back. As we say, a not entirely fond farewell to the woman who is soon to become our former Prime Minister. This is the tragic tale of Theresa May. My pitch is very simple. I'm Theresa May and I think I'm the best person to be Prime Minister of this country. She was the strong and stable leader who ended up weak and wobbly. The malfunctioning Maybot, uncomfortable around ordinary people, uncomfortable around her own MPs. She called an election to win absolute control and ended up barely in power. The reluctant Remainer who tried to embrace Brexit but only on her own terms. She expected Parliament, the country, the EU to all bend to her will. And every time she hit a brick wall, she just charged at it again, convinced this time the wall would have to give in. This is the story of Theresa May's three troubled years in Downing Street. She began with a huge amount of goodwill behind her, really. Her team looked like, you know, master tacticians politically. My podcast partner, Robert Meekin. After the shock of the Brexit vote had subsided, a little at least, we were plunged into a Tory leadership contest, one that would, it seemed, inevitably end with Boris Johnson in number 10. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Except this time the rival candidates managed to stab each other in the back or shoot themselves in the foot. It meant that Theresa May ended up as Prime Minister without really being tested. She looked like the, okay, admittedly rather boring, but steely, super organised, no frills attached sort of politician who was just right for a time of utter chaos. I genuinely think she thought she had the skill set with her team to be the person who could negotiate a workable Brexit over the line through the House of Commons. But those who'd watched Theresa May up close in the Home Office had their doubts. Would she really be able to curb that tendency to control freakery? Was she really even capable of compromise? Joy Ladika is a columnist for the Evening Standard newspaper in London and says Theresa May's failings were obvious to those who had followed her closely. But the lack of a proper leadership contest meant other people had no idea. They were already apparent to her colleagues who'd worked with her and people who you know, know her will say that you know, it's impossible to do small talk with her. Everything is formal. Everything is inflexible. Uh, that she's an incredibly guarded person. Had she been under the scrutiny of Andrew Neil, we would have had an incredibly workmanlike and probably largely very detailed interview. But would we have grown to love her, warm to her? Probably not. I think her supporters were guilty of trying to make her something that she wasn't. Let's be honest, they wanted another Iron Lady. That's what that's people fantasised about. They wanted another Margaret Thatcher. They tried to make out that she was cut from similar cloth. And they wanted that steely, matriarchal figure in charge. After those daft old Etonians in charge before, Theresa May never was a conviction politician like Margaret Thatcher, lover or a loather. They're very different personalities, but people wanted something in that mould and kidded themselves, in my belief now, with the glorious benefit of hindsight, that that's what they were getting with Theresa May. It wasn't the case. She came from a rather different background. She was the daughter of a vicar. She was uh, hardworking and diligent in a way that 
Cameron was not. But I think she made a mistake that Thatcher did not or could not, which is that she decided to appoint a cabinet that was balanced, both men and women, um, both Brexiteers and Remainers. So she she never formed a tribe that would carry her through the first year, second year, third year. And the outcome of that was a hell of a lot of bickering. She put Brexiteers like David Davis and Liam Fox in charge of the key departments responsible for setting Britain's future direction. But it quickly became apparent they were not really in charge. Theresa May and her inner circle of advisers had total control. Cabinet ministers complained they were being treated like naughty children. At her first conference speech as leader, she managed to insult millions of people because they didn't share her seemingly rather narrow view of Britishness. But if you believe you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere. As Theresa May set out an increasingly hard Brexit stance, in Washington, another earthquake was bringing Donald Trump to the White House. If anyone in the US had even had the time to notice Britain had a new prime minister, their most likely response would be Theresa who? Simon Marks is the head of Feature Story News in Washington. She wasn't a particularly widely known figure. I don't think that anybody really understood at the time the peril that the country was ultimately going to be in over the Brexit referendum. Trump was sworn in, promising to put America first. It was a speech that terrified many. But Theresa May couldn't wait to jump on a plane. The big moment for Theresa May was undoubtedly her decision to become the first foreign head of government to cross the threshold of Donald Trump's White House. She was the first foreign leader to visit him in the Oval Office, those infamous pictures of the two of them hand in hand as they walked through the courtyard of the White House. It seemed like a brave gamble. She wanted to raise Britain's profile. She hoped her gesture would reap rewards. It didn't. On the very day that she was here, he signed the executive order implementing the travel ban, stopping Muslims from a wide swathe of countries from entering the United States. And, you know, that immediately created difficulties for her because, of course, as soon as she landed at her next port of call, she was being asked about why Donald Trump, you know, did you make no uh, attempts to head this off when you were talking to Donald Trump? And, And ever since then, of course, the relationship has been all give by her with absolutely uh, no reciprocity by Donald Trump whatsoever over the last two and a half years. In the months ahead, Theresa May would have to look the other way again and again as Donald Trump said and did things that sparked revulsion around the world. There is only one topic that matters today in the bilateral relationship as far as any prime minister's concerned, and that is the desperate need for a trade deal post-Brexit. There is a lack of understanding in Britain, I think, of the complexities of bringing that about. Theresa May sublimated her visceral feelings about Donald Trump to the perceived need to accentuate the trade agreement. But none of this dented her popularity. Theresa May had created the image of a quiet, strong leader, not fussy, not a show-off, getting things done. This was a sharp contrast with the chaos in Labour. As she was taking office, Jeremy Corbyn's MPs were doing their very best to get rid of him. Polls put the Tories far, far ahead. But the next election wasn't due until 2020, and Theresa May repeatedly insisted she was not going to pull the trigger any sooner. It just wasn't in the national interest until that fateful walk in Wales over Easter of 2017 
and a sudden announcement in Downing Street. I have just chaired a meeting of the Cabinet where we agreed that the government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of June. Let's be clear, nobody thought at the time that this was the defining strategic error of Theresa May's premiership. She looked set for a crushing victory. Labour MPs with huge majorities were quietly looking for new jobs. But they, and we, didn't bank on two things. Jeremy Corbyn is a much better street campaigner than he is in the House of Commons. And Theresa May is an awful political campaigner. In public, Theresa May came across as a, a very awkward and shy and forced figure. As, as we said, that was brought out most fatally in political terms when she was on the election campaign trail. There was that awful um, day in the factory where she had surrounded herself with, not with factory workers, but with Conservative Party members in order to hold off any difficult questions. Meanwhile, she had Jeremy Corbyn, who managed to create a campaign where young people were running to venues to try and see him speak. And he spoke in a, he had just had a sort of much more kind of optimistic, rather well, old fashioned socialist message. And the team around him created a kind of star for at least that election campaign. So put those two things together and you can see why Theresa May's kind of balloon began to deflate quite quickly. We had a Tory party that had... Uh overestimated Theresa May's political abilities as a campaigner and, of course, had, had woefully underestimated Jeremy Corbyn's rather noted abilities as campaigner. He's great out on the stump when he's preaching to the converted in cities up and down the country. He was completely in his comfort zone. While Theresa May was, yeah, the rabbit in the headlights, just, just looked absolutely dreadful. There was one other critical thing she did wrong, um, which is, is a real sin in the eyes of the Conservative Party, was that she attacked the elderly. Now, the elderly are typically the ones who vote for the Conservatives and are the kind of section of the population that cause them to win when they do. And she introduced a policy for those who are in kind of long-term care that they would have to start selling their homes in order to pay for their care, which caused an absolute uproar. Those Labour MPs who thought they'd be heading to the job centre ended the campaign wondering if they might have won the election if they'd had one more week. Instead of a massive Tory majority, Theresa May had called an unnecessary election and gone backwards. The Tories had to go cap in hand to the Democratic Unionists, handing over a billion pounds in return for 10 votes in Parliament. That disastrous policy on social care and the inevitable U-turn prompted another bizarre performance on the campaign trail. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And despite her electoral drubbing, she seemed to show little regret. And on the biggest issue of all, she remained completely inflexible. My, how we wanted something to change. If you've been watching the Brexit negotiations, you've been in a state of agony about how inflexible Theresa May has been. As a result, those car crashes she's had, many others could see them from a way off. And yet she couldn't turn the steering wheel at the point that was required. No majority in Parliament, few friends in her own party, Theresa May told Tory MPs that she'd only stay on as leader for as long as they wanted her. Then she spent another two years grimly hanging on. Dozens of her own MPs wanted the toughest possible Brexit, but others simply wouldn't contemplate it. The only way forward was compromise. And that's not something Theresa May does. Any politician with, with, with genuine imagination and vision would have thought, after the, the, the politically life-changing events 
of, of the Brexit vote. If ever there was a time to reach out beyond the normal party political lines, it, it was going to be then. There should have been an imagination and some sort of willing early on to say, look, this country is in this condition. Voters on all sides, party politically, have voted for this. We need to move forward and let's achieve some sort of unity. Let's achieve some sort of consensus. You could have said from the start, I am being the grown up in the room here. We can all go back to beating each other up as Tories and Labour's and Lib Dems and SNP after this. But surely if ever there was a time for us to come together on a temporary basis, as a nation, as some sort of loose coalition, it is surely now at a time of crisis. But she never had the imagination or vision to do that. Most politicians, let's be frank, wouldn't. She just isn't the sort of character capable of think- thinking that way. She would continue in one particular direction until she could sense defeat in Parliament. And then she would switch course. But it was only at that point that the car crash was literally imminent would she move over. In terms of negotiating... There is a a reason to hold one's position for as long as possible in the hope that the other side will bend. However, the EU27 would watch her own cabinet undermining her. And therefore, in terms of who had the strength at the table, it was always her counterparts. From here, things really do start to fall apart. In October of 2017, her conference speech became a tortuous, hour-long metaphor for everything that was going wrong. A cough that wouldn't let her get out a single sentence. A comedian handing her a P45. Even the letters on the backdrop threw themselves to the floor. Still, she ground on, and in July last year gathered her cabinet at Chequers to present her previously top-secret Brexit plan. Within 48 hours, David Davis and Boris Johnson had quit. The Conservative Party was now in open revolt. She couldn't deliver on all that tough talk. She'd accepted the UK would have to follow many of the EU's rules without ever really having a say. And she'd accepted the Irish backstop, potentially tying the UK to even more of the EU's rules, potentially meaning Northern Ireland will be treated differently from the rest of the UK. Now, remember that billion pound deal with the DUP that she struck to stay in office? Well, now it became a pair of handcuffs scuppering the Brexit deal. She could ditch the backstop and keep the DUP, but the EU would never accept the deal. Or she could keep the backstop, but the deal would never get through Parliament. I don't actually think there was going to be a much better deal than the one she achieved. That was pretty much as as good as we could have hoped for. I would say on the political side, in terms of dealing with Parliament and dealing dealing with what was going on on this side of the water, I think there are people who could have would have been significantly better. As I say, I think we'd just been braver, would have had more imagination, a a, a frankly rather more honourable approach as, as time had gone on. Within weeks of formally agreeing a Brexit deal with the EU, Theresa May's government had been found in contempt of Parliament because it would not publish legal advice on the backstop. When it did publish it, we found out why. It said the UK could be trapped forever with no unilateral way out of that backstop. So much for taking back control. Still, she pressed on, insisting Parliament would vote on her Brexit deal before Christmas. Days of debate followed. Then, at the last minute, staring defeat in the face she backed off. This was the final straw for many Tory MPs. They humiliated Theresa May still further, staging a no-confidence vote in her leadership. She survived, but her authority was now in tatters. Joy Lodico again. That she hung on so long is partly because I think uh, the European Research Group have always overstated their hand, and when you actually put those numbers to the test, they don't make it. So she 
got through the confidence vote uh, last December with some ease. Judgment Day could not be avoided any longer. On the 15th of January 2019, Parliament voted on Theresa May's Brexit deal and heaped even more humiliation on her. The biggest ever parliamentary defeat. She lost by 230 votes. The next day, her government survived a confidence vote, but time really was running out. The backstop was tweaked, but the Attorney General said that it didn't change the risk of being trapped in it. A second vote went down to another heavy defeat. Now we were just two weeks away from Brexit, no deal in place, and a Prime Minister barely able to control her own cabinet. Theresa May did what she always did. She blamed everybody except herself. Yes, there was that very angry statement that actually rather upset the nation. Of this, I am absolutely sure you, the public, have had enough. You're tired of the infighting. You're tired of the political games and the arcane procedural rows. Tired of MPs talking about nothing else but Brexit. Made certain people worry, I think, that she was almost becoming uh, dictatorial in that she wanted no general election. She wanted no second referendum. She wanted no... EU elections. Everything had to be the way Theresa wanted it to be. By now she'd had to go to Brussels and beg for a Brexit extension. She'd even offered to quit if only Tory MPs would get behind her deal. April 2019. We should have been out of the EU by now, but instead Theresa May agreed a flexible extension until the end of October and started talks with Labour. The last throw of the dice. Something so argued she should have done two years before. The voters' judgment came next. In the EU elections we were never meant to take part in, the Tories finished fifth, with fewer than one in ten votes, not just behind the Brexit Party and Labour. The party of government finished behind the Greens. The day after the vote, Theresa May bowed to the inevitable. The second female Prime Minister, but certainly not the last. I do so with no ill will but with enormous and enduring gratitude to have had the opportunity to serve the country I love. She continues to insist that being Prime Minister has been a great honour, that she will leave Downing Street with pride. Yet by any reasonable measure, her time in office has been a disaster. But could anyone else have done a better job? Well, that's a very interesting thought. I think George Osborne would have thought he would have done better. I think Michael Gove has also claimed at least to have some sort of vision about how Brexit would happen. And he has certain political capabilities, shall we say, that Theresa May doesn't have. Um, he has a, an ability to change shape. He has an ability to absorb complex arguments, which she did not. And he also spoke to that kind of true Brexit spirit. Attacked on all sides, Theresa May seemed to get every major decision wrong including that idea of sticking by Donald Trump. It was a favour that was not returned. In Washington, Simon Marks. Even in the last days of her premiership, putting the shiv in again and again and saying, I told her how to do Brexit because, of course, Trump told her she should sue the European Union. How on earth he thought that was going to resolve anything? Nobody knows. But I told her how to do Brexit and she wouldn't listen and she was foolish and she's presided over this disaster. There is no need at this point to give Theresa May another kicking. She is down. She is out. She is done. And even at this stage, he can't quite resist it. Theresa May had been in frontline politics for two decades before she became prime minister. But really, we barely knew anything about her. And what we learned, many of us didn't like. 
She didn't seem to want to be held to account by anybody, by MPs, by journalists, by the public. She wanted to be able to do Brexit on her own terms without involving anyone else. When that became impossible, she simply refused to compromise. She ploughed on, in spite of all the opposition, running from one embarrassing, humiliating defeat to the next. But hang on, are we being unfair? Might history, perhaps, view Theresa May in a kinder light? I think she'll be a rather forgotten figure uh, quite soon. Yes, yes, I know she's had a, a, a key role in one of the biggest polit- political dramas our nation's experienced in, in, in decades. But I think Theresa May as a person, as a prime minister, I, I think, I think we'll, we'll soon sort of fade, really, to degree of um, insignificance. I think she, she's, she's made no real mark. Events just overwhelmed her. I think history may be being uh, rewritten in about three months' time where we begin to see that the deal that Theresa May brought to the table was indeed probably the only deal that was available given what the right wing of her party was asking for. And her ability to kind of hold negotiations together, steer a ship, if somewhat erratically drive this car somewhat, not in the best direction. She did actually manage to keep a centre of power for at least two and a half of those three years of her I think her successor is likely possibly to have a rather more prominent place in political history for for better or worse. I think Theresa just looks like someone, as I say, who was uh, swept away. She will unfortunately uh, look uh, like like a failed leader, as say Anthony Eden looked like a failed leader all those decades before. Sometimes sometimes politicians, prime ministers in in particular, need a good bit of old-fashioned luck. She didn't have it. My pitch is very simple. I'm Theresa May, and I think I'm the best person to be Prime Minister of this country. There we are, the tragic story of Theresa May in a little over 20 minutes. Thanks to Joe Ladico, to Simon Marks, and to Robert Meakin for taking part. Soon we will be in a new era, and the next podcast... We'll take a look through who will be sitting round Boris Johnson's cabinet table. I mean, it could be Jeremy Hunt. It won't be. But it could be. Thanks for listening. As ever, we end with our requests for reviews and ratings and Apple Podcasts or wherever else you may be listening. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.